It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, good day, listeners, and welcome to Hard Hats and High Viz. I believe we're into about week 17. The time flies by where Hong Kong Jack and I discuss all matters Australian, politics, sport, etc. Not that there's anything else outside of sport and politics. Jack, is there? Well, nothing I've heard of. <laughs> Good to see you and thanks for joining me today. And we remind our listeners uh, that uh, if you like what you've heard, or indeed if you don't like what you've heard, drop us a line uh, at the conditional release program at gmail.com or hit me up on uh, Twitter. That's Jack at Jack the Insider. My DMs are open. Uh, any any comments, any criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, look, sad news today, Jack. Um, uh, Olivia Newton-John has passed away uh, at her ranch in Soquel after a 30-year battle with cancer. Tributes are pouring in. Yeah, well, she's a garden girl, Jack. Oh, yes, 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 I believe so. That's fantastic. Yeah, news. you know, her, her father was in MI5, the uh, British intelligence during the war. Uh, he was at Bletchingley, and I think he might have been the person who arrested Rudolf Hess, for that matter. Um, but he fetched up post-war um, uh, as master at Ormond College at Melbourne University. Um, so young Olivia, born in London, uh, turns up in... Um, in, in Carlton and uh, and goes to school at University High. You went to University Hall. Well, she'd have to be a Carlton Barrack. You've got to be a Carlton Barrack to go in there. There's no, no, there's no, no Collingwood people allowed. Don't get in. Don't don't get enrolled if you're Barry for Collingwood. That's probably right. There's always a few Carlton blokes playing at uh, yes. young Carlton prospects playing at University High. Yes, so it, it was a, a pretty good recruiting zone for a little while there. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, look, tributes are pouring in at the moment. Uh, the, the one that I really like was uh, from John Travolta, who said, My dearest Olivia, you made all of our lives so much better. Your impact was incredible. I love you so much. We will see you down the road and we will all be together again. Yours from the first moment I saw you and forever. Your Danny, your John. Referencing uh, Greece there where uh, Olivia Newton-John co-starred with John Travolta and, and definitely uh, ONJ's uh, biggest movie. Uh, there were other tributes as well. Uh, <clears throat> um, and uh, one came from Kylie Minogue who said, uh, since I was 10 years old, I have loved and looked up to Olivia Newton-John and I always will. Uh, she was and always will be an inspiration to me in so many ways. My deepest condolences to her family and loved ones. She was, of course, a very profound uh, advocate for um, uh, for uh, people suffering cancer and breast cancer in particular, Jack. <laughs> she did some sterling work uh, in, in that area, absolutely. Yes, and also... Jack, uh, uh, we we uh, we also lost Judith Durham from the Seekers uh, late last week. Uh, she died at seventy nine at uh, Alfred Hospital in in Peran after a, a battle with a chronic lung disease. She too was a a, a, a Melbourne uh, girl. Um, 
uh, grew up on Mount Alexander Road in Mooney Ponds uh, uh, before a, a stint down in Hobart, um, and then was back in Melbourne uh, working at J. Walter Thompson, the uh, the uh, American ab- advert- advertising company, um, when the, the Seekers kicked off because she met Athol Guy there. Um, it's interesting, really, isn't it? They're only six years apart, but you think of them as almost being of different generations. Yeah, there is that sort of there is that sort of generational gap. Uh, the Seekers were um, uh, probably at their height in the mid to late sixties, but at the same time, uh, Olivia Newton John, I think her first hit single was "The Banks of the O." high O, and I reckon that was around about 1969 too. So not a lot of difference between the two, but there does seem to be that sort of generational difference. I did read uh, in in The Guardian a rather gushing obituary uh, uh, pointing to Judith Durham being a sex symbol, Jack. I thought that was a little unnecessary under the, under the, uh, under the circumstances written by uh, a person who knew her well. Um, um, but um, yeah, some, lo- some lovely tributes came in for, for her as well. Right. Um, uh, I think the, one of the first songs they ever recorded was written by a young pianist in the UK by the name of Reggie Dwight. Ah, um, is that right? And, uh, and he thought uh, Judith Durham had a, uh, one of the great voices of all time. Um, uh, Reggie, for those who don't know, has gone on to <laughs> greater fame. Changed um, the name there. Reggie Dwight wasn't going to make it. Uh, yeah. In that day and age, had to be something a bit more special than that. So, so, so that's dear old Dame Elton John. Yes, um, uh, uh, and um, uh, so yeah, so they, they both both had enormous reputations uh, mm. and, and and were considered greats of their time. So it's it's valet both of them. Uh, Judith Durham was uh, supposed to sing the Carnival is Over at the closing ceremony of the Sydney Olympics in 2000, Jack. Uh, unfortunately broke her hip uh, and had to reprise her hit uh, at the Paralympics a couple of weeks later where she sang from a, a wheelchair. She had suffered, suffered ill health, had a stroke in 2013 and lost her capacity to read and write music but restored those faculties over time. So she uh, she bounced back, um, but uh, she couldn't overcome the uh, chronic lung disease that she suffered that ended up killing her at uh, Prince Alfred Hospital in Paran. The two great Australians lost as well. Is yeah, yeah two great Australians. So Judith Dunn was a Victorian of the year, I believe, around about the 1970s. Couldn't tell you. the No, I think it was around, no, 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 much later than that. Uh, I think around about 2000, 2002, she was Victorian of the year. Uh, yes, sterling talent, and uh, and one of the members of the Seekers went on to represent the Labor Party in the I think the Upper House wasn't it, Jack Athol God? Well, actually, the Liberal Party, I think. It oh, was Liberal Party! Party. Yeah, oh my yeah, God! Yeah. Yes, what a mistake to make. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the Seekers were very much um, a South Yarra, a South Yarra band. I always <laughs> thought. Um, you know, Athol Guy was working for the uh, the advertising company. Keith Potka was working for the ABC. You know, that was very that would be quite different too. Maybe that was the sort of generational um, difference that been. we're talking about, yeah. Um, look, uh, 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 we're, we're missing, though, the real victim in all of this, Jack, and that's John Barillaro. He's a victim after being appointed to uh, the New, New York, uh, well, New South Wales Trade Commissioner to the City of New York 
Uh, <coughs> and, to, to, uh, to the job that to the job that you and I should have shared. Yes, <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. It was tailor made for us. Uh, we yeah. could have split it. Um, uh, you would have worked Monday to Wednesday, and I would have just popped in Thursday, Friday, checked my emails, and uh, spent some time out in the Big Apple. But Barrels did actually grab the job, and then had to knock it back under a storm of uh, uh, of controversy. Uh, and he gave evidence to the Upper House Committee yesterday. In a sort of cheerful display, Jack. Did you see it? I, I did see a little bit of it. I thought it was quite absurd. Really. <laughs> it really was. He's been through hell, Jack. Yeah. He's been through hell. And he considers himself to be the victim. I would have thought Stuart Ayres might put his hand up and say, well, I'm a bit of a victim too because I was Lost a trade job. minister and minister <laughs> for, a, well, almost almost Russian stuff, you know, uh, minister for everything. I was trade minister and now I've had to resign. And Dominic Perrottet is literally hemorrhaging every day. <laughs> every day this controversy kicks on. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what the controversy is about, to be quite honest, um, apart from the fact that the Liberals made a big error in that this should have been a Cabinet appointment. Um, well, they, they, it was initially going to be a public service appointment and then they sh shifted, it, shifted it across. The, the, the thing that you know, smacks of New South Wales politics writ large is, um, is uh, you know, this, this shuffling around of the job application. It is a new title. It is a new position. By the way, New South Wales have not had a trade commissioner in the New York City uh, for uh, forever until now. I believe they're renting a space there on the uh, Upper West Side, uh, and they've got uh, they've got four people working there at the moment. Uh, I did see Nick Minchin on seven thirty talk last night how it should have been a political appointment, and I don't mind that. But it's just the shenanigans that went went on in the background, Jack. Yeah, well, that, that, that's right. I agree with Nick Mitchin, and, and I've said all along that I thought this should have been a cabinet decisions. And that's because, uh, yes, there's an element of jobs for the boys or girls about these things, but then politicians very often make the best people to do this kind of a job. Yeah, that was Minchin's, uh, that was Minchin's um, 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 remarks uh, on 7.30 last night. Um, Nick uh, was, uh, I believe, a, a trade commissioner himself or something. No, yeah, I, think he was, I think he was the, um, the ambassador to the UN. Um, That's right. Uh, one yes, of the, he one was of the great jobs. Damn yeah, he was consul trolling. general in New York. I can't remember which. They're, one of, they're both great jobs, you know. Um, uh, the, and, and look, we would have been in the dormant One of the, the best state. drinks trolleys. I did yeah. see, uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I did see Four Corners last night. It was a, uh, uh, I think it was a buy-in from overseas, um, uh, the, the program itself, where they talked about the level of sexual harassment going on within the UN, within the UN and particularly within the building. Uh, and that the uh, Secretary General seems to have just, uh, oh, he makes all the right noises. We will not tolerate zero tolerance, all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and it's just going on to the, to the point where whistleblowers come forward and they just get eviscerated. This would be a surprise to no one who knows <laughs> anything much about the UN. It's just not. Um, it no. is rife with, rife with corruption uh, and this sort of misbehaviour and has been right from the beginning. Well, part of that process is that they're not, they're not, they're not accountable because they're not 
actually doing anything, you know. I mean, so so when you get a plum job, uh, you you head off to New York, which is where barrels and everyone wants to be, and uh, and you might have a five point. Well, there was one discussion of a five billion dollar budget, five billion dollar annual budget in your own department. And at the end of the day, you're not accountable to anyone. No, no, no. Um, there is a, is a lovely old story about, um, I think it was Dag Hammarskjöld, one of the UN Secretary General, showing someone around the the complex on the East River, and um, and 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 the visit visiting dignitary said, "Gee, it's a big, big building. How many people work here?" And the UN Secretary General said, "About half." <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I don't know, uh, which is probably the second answer, but yeah, yeah, better half. Yeah, better half. Yeah. Uh, look, yeah, it is a shocker. And apparently the building itself is in such state of disrepair. They've got rats running around. They've got electrical wiring problems. And all that. The thing seems to the best idea would be to level it and start again. Well, the, the UN's an inherently compromised organisation mm. because it treats... Um, every country as though they are equal, every government as though they are equally legitimate, whether they are or they're not. Um, but the reason we keep it and the reason we should keep it is you have to have somewhere where you can talk to your enemies. Yeah, look, it's right, but it probably is a manifestation of global politics. You know, it, it, it really is it, it, the, the sum total of of. The world's nations, I think, some 185 member nations, uh, and and basically it is an expression of that uh, of, of sometimes the rare political successes, but uh, mostly the failures around the world. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's never a good thing. But the UN criticisms uh, are really a criticism of us uh, in many ways. I mean, they're a criticism of uh, of world politics um, and. Uh, because they are basically the sum total of what's going on in the world at any given time. Yeah, but we, we should we should never take it too seriously in the sense of just because the UN says something, that doesn't mean we think that's true. Or because the UN criticises somebody, we say, oh, well, so what, is, is the proper approach. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Now, back to Barrels. John Barillaro, he's due back uh, uh, in front of the committee on Friday... And we recorded. This has been a, this has been great fun for the Labor Party in New South Wales. Oh, it's given Chris Mins a platform. Uh, he was writing an op-ed. Uh, he wrote an op-ed for uh, the Nine Papers or the Sydney Morning Herald uh, earlier in the week, saying he had witnessed corruption on both sides, and he was there to stop it. It's just it's it's just a free swing. It's just it is you know, and, one, and one he, shot he, outside he, the off-stump and have a bit of have a bit of that. He, he looks very competent, Chris Means. He looks like a winner to me. Yeah, he looks like a winner to me. I think they'll give uh, uh, Don Perrottet's government a real touch-up next year. Yeah. Uh, but Barrels is due to go back because there are more problems, Jack. Uh, his now girlfriend, which seems to be a, a sort of odd description for, uh, for a person who's... Uh, uh, you know, in, in her middle ages, uh, and, and as is John Barillaro, but his now girlfriend, uh, <coughs> um, uh, Ms. Lugston, um, Jennifer Lugston, uh, received a, 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 she's been employed by Investment New South Wales in August 21. 
she was awarded a contract uh, with Investment New South Wales at that time. Uh, and this seems to be um, <coughs> uh, coming from Investment New South Wales CEO Amy Brown said of uh, Barillaro, he heard we were building out our media and communications. I said to him, she is welcome to apply for such opportunities and my head of media and c- communications is making arrangements. There's no, there's no suggestion that it's been, you know, a job for the girls in this particular instance, but it would seem to me to be, and it's really how you and I understand how New South Wales works. It's very much a question of, 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 what you, of not what you know, but who you know. And if you know a sitting minister, and he was at the time, um, uh, then um, uh, she, she's going to get a bit of a, she's going to get a bit of a leg up, isn't she? Um, Quite probably, yeah. Yes. Well, the, the, um, but the, the position... But there really isn't, uh, this committee has been hammering away and they're making great political ground, but they've really found nothing. Mm. What, what, what they've found is great political opportunities for Labor, which is why they're doing it. I accept that's probably a good thing. <laughs> Look, it's just, it's just grist for the mill here. Labor's yeah, Penny Sharp, yeah. who's a mate of mine. G'day, Penny. Someone you were in a relationship with, she asked Barillaro uh, yesterday, was clearly aware of the various processes associated with the advertising and the nature of the US trade position. So it seems that, you know, <laughs> loose lips, uh, a bit of um, a bit of um, uh, a, a, a bit of uh, who you know, not what you know, sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it 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 it, it means that uh, uh, it's left the Liberals in tatters at the moment. They still have to appoint a deputy premier. That will almost certainly go to. Transport Minister David Elliott. He's also Emergency Services Minister. He's, he's the bloke uh, who oh, took off to Paris. Was, you remember him? Took off to Paris was, <laughs> as Emergency Services Minister as New South Wales burned. He was talking this morning about um, uh, he, perhaps he mightn't be a candidate because Dom Perrottet wants a, um, a coronation rather than a, a competition. Oh, yeah, so more problems there. So, so, so it might be Matt Keane, I think, is the, the, the last... Treasurer and Deputy. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it must be said, when, when people wondered just how Elliot kept his job, when he took off for Paris, we'd had serious fires around the state throughout and leading up to Christmas, and just before Christmas he jumped on a burner and went to Paris and stayed there for three or four days and then came back, and you thought, well... Uh, if Gladys Berejiklian's any sort of premier at all, she'd pop out of the airport and sack him there. But none of that happened. And the reason for that, Jack, is that David Elliott actually leads uh, what we call the um, moderate right faction within the Liberal Party in New South Wales. So he brings to the table uh, probably a cricket team's worth of numbers. Yep. And that's and, why, and David. If, you, if, you're, if you're going to play in the political game, you've got to be able to count. Yeah, well, you've got to have a few behind you. It's good to have a cricket team behind you. Yep. Uh, and uh, and so you bring those. And that's why Barajiklin didn't act on him. So, so there he was, after stepping off the burner from from uh, an, uh, an abbreviated trip to Paris, uh, there he was standing behind the Premier when she was doing the updates on the bushfires. Uh, mm. Just appeared, and you thought, "Gee, that's that's not right." But uh, mm. there he was. I wrote a piece about <laughs> at the time, thinking, "There's no way this bloke can keep his job." But not only has he kept his job, Jack, 
he's been promoted. Yeah. Mm. So massive problems for the New South Wales government. They just want this put to bed. Maybe Friday will will give them that opportunity to clear the fetid air and get some oxygen. I yeah. did. Well, inst- well for, for all that I say that the, um, uh, the, the committee hasn't really exposed any real wrongdoing. What they have exposed is a government who's in a bit of disarray because the government's response, the response of the individual witnesses has been poor all round. Yeah. Right yeah. up to Borello um, uh, uh, feeling sorry for himself. It's just been, oh, yeah. it's been a shambles. He's, he's had a hell of He's been through hell, Jack. Uh, I did enjoy the fact that uh, uh, that uh, Barry O'Farrell was one of his referees, of course, a former Premier, and currently on the drinks trolley himself. I think he's Trade Commissioner to India, isn't he? No, he's, he's the Ambassador. Oh, that's right. He is. He's the, yeah, I was going to say. And a, ver- a, a, a very good there. man, Barry O'Farrell. Oh, look, he is, he's a good fellow, but, but I'm just saying that, uh, as uh, John Cadelka tweeted yesterday, was a moment of peak New South Wales uh, where, yeah. uh, where Barrow's ref, ref, referee was, in fact, on the big drinks trolley himself. Um, yeah, yes. Well, 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 there, well, there are those who say that the proportion of uh, uh, miscreants um, uh, in New South Wales hasn't altered much since... Um, uh, since 1888, when Rum the Rebellion? first fleet arrived. Oh, yeah, i got to take you back. The Rum Rebellion, mate. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what some of our uh, police officer friends from Victoria think of uh, New South Wales policing. Anyway, it hasn't changed much since the Rum Rebellion. Mm. Um, yes, this, it's it's a unique place. Uh, it's a great mm. place to wander around uh, the New South Wales Parliament. I recommend people do that. I mean, it's one of these very welcoming places, as all parliaments should be. Go in and have a wander around. It uh, it's got certainly more history than the than the federal one, and um, and uh, if you're lucky enough to be invited by uh, a member of parliament, uh, you can swing past the bar and have a bit of a drink. Um, uh, smoking is banned uh, in uh, in in all uh, in all government buildings and balconies and what have you, but not in the parliament. Check isn't that amazing? Isn't it you amazing? Go out, there, go out and have a dairy there on the balcony, and if you're very lucky. Uh, you might get invited for dinner at the uh, the dining room that belongs to the president of the Legislative Council of New South Wales, oh, yes. which is right behind her chair, as it was when you and I went for dinner there. You, I know you've been a number. Of I, I go, I I go every year to the uh, the president's dinner. Yes, <laughs> I offer up a speech. It's a lovely dining room. The food and drinks um, first rate, um, and. Um, uh, and, and you can hear the bells ringing in case she's called to adjudicate on something. Yes, that's right. Well, look, the, 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 uh, the upper house chamber is literally next door. You go through a little passageway there. Uh, and, of course, if, you, if you're lucky enough to get in the Premier's office, you'll see there's a little secret exit there that uh, we believe was built uh, uh, for Edmund Barton. I think uh, Edmund Barton. Uh, T- Tosspot Toby. T- T- <laughs> Toby Tosspot, yeah. He had uh, an occasional dalliance with married women there and, and would have when angry husbands appeared uh, at his office banging on the door, they could uh, discreetly remove her through the secret passageway. All very, very interesting stuff. Your brother, your brother used to reckon that we were real, you and I were related to Edmund Barton somehow, but I could never quite get his get his logic on that one. Yeah, I could never understand that uh, either. Not sure about that, um, but uh, yeah, there was some sort of uh, uh, 
the exotic reading of the of the history. Um, anyway, so Barrels is back in on Friday, and uh, and, and the libs will be looking for the that'll make big news. It'll run across all your news services in New South Wales on the Friday, and they'll hope like hell that it'll be the end of it. And get on to your get on to your, your bookmaker and have a crack at uh, Chris Means being the next Premier of yeah, New South Wales. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, that's definitely coming our way. March uh, March March election twenty twenty three. Uh, we have talked about the Indigenous Voice Jack uh, a number of times and the care, the great care that needs to be taken uh, in proceeding with this. It's not just uh, establishing the referendum question, which will establish uh, recognition, constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians. Uh, but the process itself, um, uh, it, 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 we're talking about it a bit more now as a community, um, um, but uh, it's not all one way. Uh, and uh, our, uh, our, our, well, he's, uh, I don't know that he's a friend of the podcast, but author and what we might call trash historian is that a, is that is is that defamatory, Jack? Oh no, I I think historian. That's, that's historian. A, okay, he doesn't need a um, it doesn't need an, a, mass, an mass market historian, shall we say? Uh, got a small team of researchers who uh, he's the he's the prince of the vertical pronoun. By the yes, way. and and of course uh, uh, the uh, uh, not the president, but the uh, the CEO is that it? or the executive or director, cha- chairman of the Australian Republic, chairman of the Australian Republic movement. And um, we are talking, of course, about Peter Fitzsimmons. And Peter Fitzsimmons uh, had an interview with Jacinta Price that sort of led to a bit of. Uh, led to a bit of noise today where it seems that there was a clash between the two. Jacinta Price, of course, is the CLP senator, one of the CLP senators for Northern Territory uh, and, um, and and currently sitting in the parliament. And apparently they had, uh, had uh, well, Fitzsimmons was interviewing her and it led to uh, a clash, allegations of shouting matches and bullying. Now, I guess uh, Peter Fitzsimmons has responded saying that uh, that he was he did the voices were not raised and denied any allegations of bullying. Um, but the questions were akin to sort of saying, "Now we, you know, you you are giving comfort, aid, and comfort." He, you know said this of just enterprise sort of providing aid and comfort for racists by uh, refusing to support um, uh, indigenous recognition constitutional recognition Jack this is yeah. for mine I'll let you comment in a minute but this is for mine precisely how you don't go about this well you can rely on fits to get it wrong <laughs> He's quite a nice bloke, but really, you can you can be sure he'll be on the wrong end. He grabbed the stick by the wrong end. Um, I said before he's the prince of the vertical pronoun, but you know, this is him in the in the interview. I spoke in favour of changing the date of Australia Day at, at a Centre for Independent Studies um, conference. Well, after after there. his party, after his party, yeah, yeah. with his wife, yeah. uh, at, they uh, used to be Australia Day for years. Yeah, they moved it now. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You you were. Um, you were resolute that Australia Day should remain on January 26th. This is after he's spoken against it, so you really... Uh, <laughs> the temerity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my gob was smacked at the time and still is. Can you say why you support that position? And this is this is typical of Peter Fitz, is that once I've decided this is the right way to approach this, 
no other approach is acceptable. Yeah, no, and if that's the if that's the way we go about trying to pursue the voice, it's going to fail. It is, and and and, and it is about respectful acknowledgement of other opinions, and I think that needs to be said. Jacinda Price yeah. has, has had a long history. She's a former deputy mayor of uh, uh, Alice Springs. Uh, of Alice Springs, um, she had a crack against Warren Snowden. Uh, for the um, seat of Solomon in 2019 and came very close. Uh, didn't win, but came very close. Big swing. Uh, and, uh, and and now she, uh, she stood, stood in the Senate. And, and Jacinda Price's position is um, uh, often uh, perhaps misread as you can't walk and chew gum, and that is an acknowledgement uh, that the symbolic uh, constitutional recognition or the symbol- symbolism of Uluru's statement um, uh, should uh, should be put aside uh, while we look at practical re- reconciliation, um, uh, and and she would you know the people say well we, the country can walk and chew gum, but the point that she makes is that we're not chewing gum very well. That uh, the practical yeah. reconciliation stuff is not happening, and there are massive problems, particularly in remote uh, indigenous communities. Um, and well, the, cl- the the closing the gap report confirms that it does, yeah. You know, um, and 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 she's got a point. She's she has got a point. We can't be doing the symbolic stuff at the expense of addressing the practical stuff. Um, uh, but but I agree that my personal view is that we can do we can do both at the same time. Mm. Same time. Now, this is fits though. With a progressive mood, mood sweeping the land, we're far more unified now than we've ever been in our history. Um, so I just think that... Hey, 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 who, Jack, you're a lawyer. He's an, he's the historian. And for, for an historian, that's histori- <laughs> hysterically ahistorical and ignorant. <laughs> we are not more united than we've ever been before. We might not have had the team uh, of and, researchers. And, and this, is, this, is where the appro- this is where the approach gets wrong. If you say there's only one way to approach yeah, this, yeah, there's only one exactly way to go about this, it, is, it will fail. Um, and, and, and more importantly, at the moment they've got a they've got a they've got a hill they've got to climb yet, mm. and that is people are starting to say, well, we could legislate to have a voice next week. There is nothing to stop it, and it would get through the parliament. Why do we have to have a constitutional amendment? And that answer has not really been uh, there hasn't been a good answer to that yet. Mm. Okay. I'll try and get to it. But firstly, I want to just say about Jacinta Price that she has, overall, I believe she has goodwill in her heart. And that needs to be acknowledged rather than having this clash of, I think like this and, uh, and, and therefore, you know, that is the way we're going to go. Rather than just steamroll, trying to steamroll people with ideological positions and so forth, you, you have to acknowledge that Jacinda Price has goodwill in her heart and that she she basically is a profound advocate uh, um, for, for practical reconciliation. It's just that, you know, it's okay to disagree with people as long as you do so respectfully. Yeah, I think we're going to have different opinions, you know, across the community about how we go about the voice and what's in the voice, and we just have to, you know, do the political hard work of working our way through that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you talk about constitutional recognition and the voice, 
which is almost a separate matter. This is how Uluru started, so I'll try and answer it as best I can, that basically the Australian Constitution does not recognise the existence of Indigenous Australians. It was written, it was drafted, uh, I think uh, Andrew Clark was the, uh, prepared the first draft in about 1891, the one that went to the people ultimately uh, and was... Uh, and was endorsed or um, approved by the British Parliament and then the Australian Parliament, uh, uh, did not make any mention of Indigenous Australians. It was was rewritten on a a very nice yacht. It was. um, uh, um, uh, uh, Tucked away in, um, uh, I think, at Store Beach near Manly, wasn't it? That's right, that's right. And and, and Clark's original draft was, well, I would like to think a little bit better than the the one we got because on the yacht they've gone, "Oh, oh, gee whiz, that looks like we could change this constitution way too easily. Let's run a line through that. Let's run a line through that. But even Clark's um, uh, original draft made no mention of Indigenous Australians. And it was a document of its time. It stood the test of time, but there is that great, great gaping hole in it that it does not recognise the existence of, of Indigenous Australians and thus puts the responsibility for their um, uh, for, for the for the management of them historically uh, back back with the states and some pretty awful things occurred there. Um, uh, yeah, but I think there's a distinction that that will be drawn between yes, recognising the Indigenous people in the Constitution and recognising a voice in the Constitution, and I think that's yeah. an argument that that's going to have to be made much better than it's being made to date if it's going to succeed. Yeah, well, the voice is an extra parliamentary. Uh, extra parliamentary uh, body uh, that makes recommendations and provides advice uh, to legislation that goes through the parliament that is relevant to Indigenous Australians. That's what it's designed to do. There's been some um, um, uh, false reporting and misunderstandings around it that basically it will be a third chamber but really it is an extra or outside parliament uh, and it doesn't seek um, to have a vote on legislation uh, from, uh, from elected uh, representatives in the parliament. Um, but that's, uh, that's what the voice essentially is. Um, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Jack, and you may have read a column that I wrote last Thursday, a few days ago now, uh, where I suggested that the Greens were a real threat to reconciliation. Because when this great body of um, 250 delegates representing 115, I think it is, Indigenous nations around the country got together at Uluru in 2017, um, there was a walkout, Jack. And that that walkout uh, involved Lydia Thorpe. uh, And she said at the time that she did not believe in constitutional recognition of First Australians. She wanted a treaty first. We will not, basically, she said, give up sovereignty uh, through this process. So we had, I think, some seven delegates, including herself, walk away from uh, the uh, walk away from the delegation, the two hundred and fifty strong delegation, and uh, and make uh, make some statements to media at the time the delegation got on with their business and came up with the Uluru Statement. So it indicates to me that the Greens, well, the Greens actually adopted Uluru, the Uluru Statement very, very quickly. But by 2020, 
Lydia Thorpe was not a senator at the time, of course, in 1917. In fact, she was at at the time of uh, at the time of the Constitutional Convention at Uluru. She was a um, uh, she was a a candidate, a Greens candidate for the lower house in the seat of Northcote, which she went on to win uh, in a by-election there, and then subsequently lost it. And then by 2020, um, she was coming into the Senate to fill a casual vacancy for Richard Di Natale. And, um, and the Greens' position changed, Jack. Uh, and the Greens' position is treaty first, uh, 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 voice last. Uh, and, and, and basically, it would seem that they have changed again now, Jack. Yeah. Um, it's yet more evidence that the Greens, as they currently are, particularly in Victoria, are really just um, the latest incarnation of the old socialist left, which is, of course, why she was able to win the seat of Northcote. And you and I are both very familiar with the membership. I was in the socialist Well, she, she, uh, so. she ended up getting stitched up by the, social, the Labor socialist left, and that's why she lost the uh, yeah. lost her, lost her um, re-election chances in but, there. But, but they're the reincarnation of part of the socialist left, what we used to call the tomato left, who were... Um, uh, they were always hell-bent on ideological purity. They, they had no interest in actually gaining government and achieving anything. All they wanted to be was to, to, was to be absolutely ideologically pure um, um, and as extreme as they could possibly be. Um, uh, they were always a pest and they remain a pest in my view. Um, and, and look, to, the, the idea that you can sell the treaty and reparations thing straight up, um, I think it's a mistake. I just think it's a very, well, very hard it's, sell. It's not just a mistake, Jack. It, 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 it's telling 243 delegates uh, of, of every uh, Indigenous nation in Australia that their way that they offered to the Australian people is wrong, that yeah. their processes are wrong. So it's kind of paternalism, isn't it? It's kind of like saying, well, you know, you know, you black fellas are onto something there, but we think you've got it a bit wrong. With a bit of guidance from us, you'll be okay. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, uh, the, the, the crowd who always walk around chanting, you know, always was, always will be Aboriginal, and they're an outlier, um, and, and you, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get a majority of people in a majority of the states if you pursue their kind of policies. Yeah, so look, I did see a, a clip last week of Lydia Thorpe. This is not relating to Uluru, but Lydia Thorpe uh, screeching at the uh, uh, then uh, Attorney General, Michaelia Cash, who was responsible for answering questions in, in, in relation to Indigenous affairs matters, screeching at her that she had um, not sought uh, the approval of, 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 her, of, of Lydia Thorpe's people uh, in regard to fracking in Victoria, and that land was being fracked, and uh, and and uh, the, and that Aboriginal people had been ignored, and and uh, it came with firstly the question, and then a screeching interruption, uh, <clears throat> and uh, and Michaelia Cash didn't quite know what to do, um, uh, which is kind of uh, her default position. But the simple fact of the matter is, there is no fracking. 
in Victoria. It's banned in Victoria. And and this seemed to have just completely passed the questioner and the answer, the responder, by. Um, it was yeah. a, an extraordinary thing. Where, where she sort of had come to a belief of something that was a complete fantasy. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, just reading uh, from the Sydney Morning. That's the Greens for you. Yeah, well, this is, this, is, <laughs> this is going back to Uluru now, the Greens' position, which is really just murky right now. Treaty will provide, this is a quote from uh, Lydia Thorpe, Senator Thorpe, Treaty will provide that mechanism for us to negotiate equal terms on how we can live together in the same country and celebrate us, uh, celebrate us as well. We've made it clear that the Greens want to see progress on all elements of the statement. We support legislation that improves the lives of First Nations people, and I look forward to talking with Minister Burney about how we achieve that together in this parliament. Um, because she has previously argued that it, you know, the process as set out, set out by Uluru's statement is wrong. Uh, and that uh, it should be treaty first. Now, we're not quite sure. We're not quite sure what the demands will be from the Greens, um, um, but uh, whether and, and whether they'll come down to, uh, to uh, support um, the referendum question um, uh, <coughs> as it goes through the parliament. And we still don't know. Uh, and uh, just what will be a place. The, the, the referendum is due to be held uh, for listeners before the next election, uh, which is due in May 25. There has been some suggestion that it will be um, conducted in May 2023, but there's nothing etched in stone at this stage. And, and I think, as you've said previously, Jack, it's important to get this right, not do it fast. The... Um just listening to, to to your comments about Lydia Green, uh, I'm reminded of when Lydia uh, Thorpe, Rich, Lydia Thorpe, who Lydia is a Green, Thorpe, sorry, she's a black Green to make things even more um, uh, difficult. Amusing, yeah. yes. Um, uh, it takes me back to a, a comment from a political pal of mine when uh, Richard De Natale, uh, uh, or, 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 or as he as he was known around Canberra, Dick Christmas, um, uh, um, when he retired, uh, a pal of mine said. We're going to miss him, you know, because whatever comes after him in the Greens is going to be even worse. Yeah. Well, yeah, there've been there've been a few come and go. I mean, I think the original leader, uh, Bob Brown, was a very was a very fine man. I mean, he, he, he and and he tried to keep the Greens on that environmentalist line, which is their reason to be. Um, but you're seeing from uh, New South Wales maybe a little bit from Victoria now, and also historically Western Australia, we've got Greens who um, who have arisen, as you say, from basically uh, political campaigns to to uh, um, stop uh, stop roadworks uh, in the inner west and <laughs> things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, well, we can we can get back to the New South Wales Greens, which are the so far as I can tell, the old trots under a new name. Watermelons, yeah. Band. Yeah, yeah, green on the outside, pink on the inside. Um, but uh, yes, um, um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, we we do have just to add to the colour chart there, Jack. We do have, uh, we do have the watermelons, the uh, the red greens. We do have the blue greens uh, that some of them might have been subsumed by uh, by the teals. Just to mm. add to the uh, colour confusion there. Blue greens were sometimes called, you know, it was a misnomer really, but it was sometimes called doctors' wives. Um, people who, mm. uh, people who lived in well-to-do suburbs and and uh, and uh, furrowed their brows about uh, environmental causes, 
Uh, and now we have the Black Greens, uh, of which Lydia Thorpe is the leader. So we'll keep an eye on what happens there. Um, uh, I think Linda Burney is the right person to drive this. She's patient. She's been around politics for a very, very long time. And Well, she looks like she might get it done. The others don't so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, look, she's been around. She's been around for a long time, mate. Been, been through the bear pit in, in New South Wales and now she's in Canberra. For God's sake, just keep, just keep Peter Fitz away from oh, him. Oh, please, please, Fitz, you know, stay away from things. Don't stay away from things you don't understand, mate. Anyway, um, now we're moving on to the vexed matter of political, political honeymoons, Jack. And there's been endless speculation in the media that Albo's honeymoon is over or just beginning or still underway. Um, uh, do, you, do you reckon in the old days the editor would have come out and said, look, they've been in power for three weeks, uh, let's do the honeymoon story. <laughs> um, well, and these days it probably comes up digitally, you know. Um, uh, it pops up on their journalist screen saying, how's the honeymoon going? Is it a honeymoon? Is it over? Um, yeah, look, it, 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 it's almost true. Uh, I don't get any direction from my editors, but the whole business of political honeymoons, if you're writing a little bit of uh, wit, and, wit and wisdom, it's just got so much uh, so much scope for, for jokes, you know. The, the mm. honeymoon is over. Uh, the honey, you know, you've got a whole raft of, of references to work on there. Um, I suppose, who, who had the longest honeymoon? Jack, who had the longest time? It certainly wasn't Goff. Malcolm Fraser might have put the feet up for a while there because he went one by a spanking margin, but they also couldn't really leave uh, couldn't really leave uh, the lodge, otherwise he'd end up with a bit of paint on the car, a few eggs. Um, then we've got uh, and we've got Hawkey, and his his honeymoon didn't last all that long because eighteen months later he nearly got knocked off. Um, yeah, but he but he still retained um, uh, a lot of affection from the Australian community. You know? Yeah, it was an ill time. All, all, it was all an ill time. The, all, 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 all the way through to the end, really. Um, he, he still had a oh, a absolutely. Lot of not, not disagreeing with that, but but it was an ill time move. To, it was. Uh, it, it was a it very was cynical great... move <laughs> to go in eighty four, wasn't it? It was. It was his great political skill that he had something in common with the Australian. Um, uh, Public, and that is that uh, they love Bob Hawke and he loved Bob Hawke. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and if he had a honeymoon, we had a few of them. Um, yeah, well, well, well <laughs> a fresh one every few weeks. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, so Elbows is still going. He's on holidays, by the way. And and I'm just, and, I mean, and, I'm, and I'm, there's been some kerfuffle about him going on holiday. I know. And I looked at, I looked at that from a thought, usual well, suspects. It must be said. Um, I thought, well, look, campaigns are tough uh, and getting a government up and going is hard work. Um, and, and after that, uh, having a prime minister have take some time to kick back and reflect is a wholly good thing. And the mistake a lot of these people make is that they think that being in government means you've got to be doing something all the time. And that's just wrong. Yeah, yeah, you'll Sometimes, fail. You will fail. Yeah. Yeah. And you sometimes need, being in, sometimes being in government means kicking back and thinking about what you know, trust, and trust it right. me. Australians want a well-rested prime minister. That's and what they we do. Want. Uh, we yeah. want someone who's thinking clearly, not madly scuttling about dealing with the twenty-four-seven news cycle. Well, 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 we, well, we tried that with, with the Mister K Rudd. You know, who famously didn't sleep. You know, <laughs> um, uh, uh, and that was a disaster. Yeah, yeah indeed. So yeah, uh, let Elbow have a holiday. 
the honeymoon is continuing, and if he wants to have a nap in the afternoon, I'd say go for it, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we've had some uh, some uh, revelations uh, ha- have come about uh, from the Crows Sporting Camp, and this came in the wake of their grand final defeat against the Tigers. What are we talking about there, Jack? 2019? 2018? Uh, 19, I think. Yeah. I think the camp was yeah, in 2019. 2019. Yeah. And it's come about from Eddie Betts has got a book out and, and Eddie Betts talked about how disappointed he was with the club. Uh, he had made some what he thought were intimate uh, disclosures to a counsellor that were ended up ended up being thrown back at him by a motivator at a sporting camp on the Gold Coast, Gold Coast hinterland, um, and uh, it's it, it just it's an outrageous breach of privacy at that level. That if you tell something to a counsellor, you would expect that to remain um, uh, between yourself and the counsellor, but. No, it was used to, 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 to bully and cajole people. Uh, the camps themselves, it sounds, it sounds like uh, Starlight 13. You know? Hogan's Heroes would have been, would have been better. Um, uh, they, they'd, be, uh, they'd be roused in the morning, about f- 5 o'clock in the morning, with the Tigers theme song, Jack. Yellow and black. And, uh, and, and basically just tormented for a couple of weeks. Uh, the the club eventually uh, referred this to uh, South Australia's work um, uh, work overseer, who determined that no breaches had been made. Uh, but it was a pretty poor show, and then we saw the Crows basically dissemble the next season, and the following season they were, uh, I think, hit the bottom of the ladder. So that's the net effect of it all. I mean, what are these things about? Lots of players left. There are two things about this. One, um, it, it seems to me that the, 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 the nature of the camp was a bad idea and it was poorly done, uh, and that's, that's without question now that's true after, after the revelations, not just from Eddie but from uh, Josh, yeah, Josh Jenkins, Jenkins. another and, one who uh, spoke Bryce really, Gibbs. really well. I was impressed yeah, by that. Um, uh, about this, so, so the camp was a terrible idea, and, and 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 whatever good was about the camp was poorly done. So it was a disaster. But the second thing is the management by the Adelaide Football Club after the camp, uh, and they just closed up shop and said, "Oh, look, you know, we just we're just trying to be better, you know. So you, you, you've got to cut us some slack." But they but they went on to do some really odd things. They cut because Eddie what. Because Eddie had complained about the camp, said, "Look, some things happened on this were just wrong." Um, uh, they cut him from the leadership group, um, and, and the best thing I, I, I saw about this was a an interview with Luke Hodge, the great Hawthorne captain. You know, perhaps one of the great captains of all time in in, in, in Aussie rules football. Um, he said that that's exactly the wrong approach. He says the reason we we have a leadership group and not just a captain, he says that I know with 44 players, um, I'm not going to get on with all 44 of those players. I'm not going to be able to have a relationship with all 44 of those players so that they can come to me and say, we need to do something about this. So you've got to have a variety of people in your leadership group so everybody's got someone in there that they can talk to. So to cut Eddie from that. Oh, it was a betrayal. It was just a terrible It was error. a betrayal for anyone who's prepared yeah. to come up and, 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 and make a valued criticism. 
uh, <clears throat> yeah, it. it and and th- this is what this is what's wrong with these camps, um, not just in football clubs, but when they're using the corporate world as well. Is they try and get everybody singing yeah. from the same hymn sheet, yes. and that just doesn't work because if you're going to manage people, you've got to understand that, that they are going to be different, um, and if you try and get everybody. To, to, to swing along the same, t- uh, you know, in tune together, it's not always going to work. Hodgie was also talking about the power stance that they did at the grand final when they played Richmond. Um, now you, you remember they're all standing there with their arms sort of, sort of just out from their bodies and sort of, you know, looking very fierce like uh, the like the uh, All Blacks doing the All Blacks doing the harker and, and Hodgie said, well. If I was standing across the other side and it was John O'Brown from the Brisbane Lions looking at me like that, I'd be saying, well, <laughs> Brownie's <laughs> turned up pretty fierce. He's going, to be, he's going to be well on today. Uh, yeah, look out. He's, he's fired up. But if I see Eddie Betts doing that, I'm saying, gee, Eddie must be nervous because, you know, I'd be much more worried if I saw Eddie joking with the bloke next to him and grinning you know, with, the, with that real Eddie Betts grin, because then I'd say Eddie's relaxed. Watch I think out. the worst takeaway take from <laughs> yeah. me is, is that the Adelaide Crows push this, this silliness that the club is always right. Uh, and even when it's wrong, it's yeah. right. And, 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 and basically what, even when we've we're still right. up here, we're still and, right. And, and yeah. that breeds a terrible culture yeah. in, a, in a sporting organisation. Any anyone that can't accept uh, that clubs make mistakes, any any uh, any executive in a club, any player in a club, any coach uh, or, or or manager in a football department, if they can't accept that the club makes mistakes, then they'll never learn. They'll never be able to progress um, <clears throat> because you know you, part of going forward and achieving success. Is understanding the nature of your mistakes and how they and how they were made. This is where the Catholic Church gets itself into trouble. Is um, is when it starts defending um, errors it's made and says, "Well, it's it, you know we don't make <laughs> we don't make errors." Total <laughs> infallibility. Well, we do know also um, yeah. that Michael Hooper has uh, stood down from from the Wallabies. The Wallabies had a had a good win against. Uh, uh, the Argentinians uh, on the weekend, uh, but Michael Hoop wasn't playing, um, uh, and uh, he's bowed out uh, for for personal reasons. And you get the sense there, while it wasn't really being discussed, that it's a sort of mental health leave in a way. And I guess we don't really understand, or we can only imagine how difficult it is to be playing uh, in a team environment, really through a, through a COVID period that had them in bubbles. Uh, traveling around very, very difficult <clears throat> and uh, disconnection from family and friends and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I got a comment um, the other day from a, a Kiwi friend who said, um, well, well, one thing we we know isn't um, the, the cause of his mental problems. He doesn't no, lack he's a very fierce warrior, isn't um, he? <laughs> uh, every... Every time he pulls on the shirt, there's one wallaby. And, and he's, know, got he's, to, going hard he's got a face. He's got a face to beginning to, too, hasn't he? Yeah. You know that is a that is a yeah. beat up head. Um, Michael Hooper's got there, and yeah, plenty of scars to show for his for his competition. By the way, the All Blacks. That well, uh, to be fair, I think they're 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 finding some very very good teams looming in, in the Irish and uh, and the South Africans. Um, yeah. 
And they just seem to have gone off the ball a little bit. Um, uh, uh, my uh, my Kiwi pal, uh, when I saw him on Sunday, was almost inconsolable about it. But there well, you go. that leads us to a really heartbreaking topic for me, Jack um, Collingwood. I think what are they second or third on the ladder at the moment? They've won ten, is it on the ra- on the on the trot? Eleven. 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 Christ, I was furious when they won on the weekend. Um, how good are they, Jack? Are they? Are they just uh, are they just having a bit of a blip? Are they, well, just, you know, eleven game eleven game trips, yeah. not bad. Um, yeah, a, a couple of a couple of weeks ago when they when they won about nine, um, I was thinking they reminded me of the nineteen eighty one Essendon team, which I think won fifteen on the trot, um, uh, but then. Uh, and then it took them another three years before they won a, won a premiership. You know, they were they were certainly building something, but it was a, a bit early. Um, but I think the Pies have actually are actually a little bit better than that. They're There's not a lot wrong nice. with that side. I did I did try and be objective when I when I watched them beat uh, Melbourne, and I think the problem Melbourne have well they've got a couple of problems. Melbourne Melbourne have got. It's that it's that their midfield midfielders who are very very talented get a lot of the footy tend to play in spurts so they'll kick a lot of uh, they'll kick goals in sort of seven or eight minutes might kick three or four goals uh, while they you know while they're in the sort of contest for the rest of the game um, part of winning eleven now in a row is you just develop this almost ironclad sense of belief that no matter what position you're in you can win. So that's the other thing they came up against with yeah, was- Collingwood. The other problem with Dees, just to interrupt, is is I think uh, I think they just don't have the forward power uh, that they had available to them last year. No, they don't. I, I was listening to McRae, the Collingwood coach, uh, talking about uh, the pious capacity to win the close games. Well, they've got a percentage of 106. So, you know, they won 15 games in a row, and I think the average margin is something like eight points. Something like that. But And he was talking about um, uh, how much belief they had at three-quarter time uh, against Melbourne last week. As as they came into the huddle, they were excited um, and and they thought they were going to win. They they believed they were going to win. Uh, and listening to McRae talk about it, um, it reminded me most of all of listening to Mark McClure talk about the great Carlton hey, Science hey, hey, Let's not go crazy They won premierships. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying the Pies are as good as that, but they had the same kind of belief that it didn't yeah. matter how they were how they No matter where like you were, were in the game, you, you, could, you, could, the you, could, you could bring it back and win it. You could st- you could still win it, and 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 certainly Collingwood seemed to have that. If you watch the last six minutes of that um, that game uh, against Melbourne, it was tremendous game management from uh, from the Pies. Uh, I don't think in the last five minutes no. Melbourne managed to get the ball no, inside their forward. It was just a sort of you know there really was a sort of ruck and maul around the footy. Uh, which is a which is a, 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 a rugby rugby. And they team. slowed the game down. But they a little lost bit. the contest. They, they lost slowed the game down 50s. a little bit. They lost marks inside fifties. They lost clearances. You know, uh, st- statistically, they probably should have lost that game. And I honestly think that it was on Melbourne not to have put them away a bit earlier. They're they're up against That's the true, they're up against the Swans who are also in very fine form, and they'll play them at the SCG. It's a ground yeah. where a lot of Melbourne sides get a bit lost because it's very round, 
Um, it's uh, more of a more of a circle than an oval, and uh, and you can get lost on the flanks and the wings uh, a little bit, particularly if there's a bit of wind around. And it'll be a great game. It's just going to be a thumping game. And uh, who's your tip? Uh, well, I, I always like yeah. the Swans at home, so, um, I think so, uh, so I think they probably will. But but the Pies, they 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 really are, you know. Yeah, they're certainly in the mix. In fact, I think oily hides. The way things are going at the moment, you'd say Geelong, Carlton, and Geelong, Collingwood, and the Swans are the chances. Yeah, look, I wouldn't count Melbourne out just because of their midfield power, and and they need to sort out that that issue in the forward in the forward half. Don't quite understand why they uh, dropped Wiedemann, to be honest. He had a quiet one the week before. But Brown, their one true marking forward, he's a tall marking forward. He's a, he's a pretty one-dimensional player for mine. He's a lead-up lead up marker and doesn't, doesn't take a lot of contested marks or indeed not very good when the ball is on the deck. Um, so, uh, yeah, they'll make some changes there. But their midfield and with the big fella running around, the skipper there, uh, they'll be all right. Finally, Jack, uh, Raiders coach Ricky Stewart has been given a holiday, Jack. Uh, uh, suspended for one game and slapped with a $20,000 fine for referring to an, uh, an opposition player, Panthers player Jamin Salmon, as a weak gutted dog when uh, apparently Salmon, oh, I did see the incident, Salmon uh, lashed out with his foot um, while he was on the ground and made contact with a Raiders player. A weak gutter dog, Jack. <laughs> wow. I, I, I can't believe the way Stuart gets away with comments about referees. He's never happy unless unless the Raiders have had a had a win. And if they've had a loss, he's usually moaning about uh, moaning about referees and what have you. If he did it in the AFL where they're very strict with their fines on uh, on uh, bagging umpires when coaches bag umpires, you'd be bankrupt. <laughs> right, right. As, as, as with the yeah. club. So uh, is it one one? Wait, to, to be honest, to be honest, he'd be he'd be out the door if he's an AFL um, club. It's an extraordinary thing to say. I mean, uh, it's certainly an extraordinary thing to say in in a coach's post match conference. And then he'd known the kid. He'd known the kid, and he was a weak gutted dog when he was a kid, and he's a weak gutted dog now. And and it's just apparently I'm looking in the background can't be can't confirm this, but you know he first he came across Simon when the kid was twelve. I mean you know it's just it's just it just ain't right. Anyway, yeah. So uh, the, what I'm told about the Raiders is why they continue to put up with Ricky Stewart is the board's just completely behind him. I would say having a look at their performances over the last couple of years. They played the grand final not so long back. Uh, over the last couple of years, they are underperforming. Uh, and in a, a normal yeah. set of circumstances, that might be the end of a case, but Ricky Stewart seems to be piling on. So that's our wrap of sport there for you uh, listeners, and uh, we, hope, you know, we hope you've uh, enjoyed it. And, and bear in mind my uh, profound prejudice towards Collingwood. It's not you know, just some sort of knocked up thing that, you know, I, I really do despise them and I have all of my life. Um, so <laughs> go Swannies, go the Blues. 
Well, our, well our, our, our good friend Grant Butler, who I'm sure is listening, um, uh, will enjoy uh, your acknowledgement. Uh, he'll be bathing in the, oh, in the glory of your the acknowledgement. The fact that we've had actually talk about it bothers me, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, uh, thank you very much, Hong Kong Jack, for your time. And we uh, thank you, listeners, for staying with us into our 17th week. 18th week will be next week. Uh, and we'll know what's happened to Collingwood by then. Um, and as I say always, if you like what you're hearing, give us a give us a review on your podcast app. And if you've got any comments, remarks, or even vile criticisms attached to my uh, prejudices um, relating to the Collingwood Football Club, uh, drop us a line on the conditional release program at gmail.com or... Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. You know all the details. At Jack the Insider. Hit me up on the DMs. They're always open. Jack... Bloody great to have you, and we will catch you next week. Cheers, mate.